Welcome back to the Hottest Take Sports Podcast presented by Sip Sports. This is your host, John Ashkar, and today with me, I'm back with my co-host, Jack Vandemotter. Back in the flesh, as always. And today we have a very special guest with us, our good friend Ethan Heist. If you guys remember him, he's from episode three all the way from the beginning of this. Welcome back, Ethan. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Uh, it's been a long hiatus, but I'm back and better than ever. You thought he was gone, but no. Yeah, it was hiatus season, guys. He's just on the IR. So just to recap Ethan a little bit real quick, we had him on for our Indian special last summer, and Ethan knows a ton about baseball, and the Indians are in full go right now, so we're actually really excited to have Ethan back. I'm super pumped to have three people in the episode. Yeah, it should be a good time. All right, let's get into it. All right, so the Indians have started. They took an L tonight. It wasn't a pretty ending at all. But one good part about it was watching Zach Plesak pitch, guys. I mean, our starting rotation just has been absolutely dominant. Yeah, in a 4-0 loss to the White Sox, which hurt pretty bad, Zach Plesak pitched a gem with eight innings pitched, zero earned runs, and 11 strikeouts. He was an absolute beast um, and just continued the trend that the Indians have going of just ace after ace after ace. But unfortunately, the game was lost by our subpar bullpen that we are going to talk about later in this episode. Yeah, but uh, Plezak just kept the ball rolling when it comes to the starters. All of them had extremely good quality starts this week, and I think they're showing that they're probably one of, if not the best rotations in baseball. Yeah, MLB.com did an article on the Indians before the season started, and they ranked the Indians' rotation as like the seventh best, and I just thought that was a whole lot of tomfoolery, just because... I mean, just look at this rotation right now. You got rid of your two number one pitch, your one and two last year from Kluber and Bauer. And this rotation now already has four wins as the season has started. They have a 1.85 ERA. They have 54 strikeouts and 39 innings pitched. Between Bieber, Clevenger, Carrasco, Savale, Plutko, and Plezak, you have six quality starters who can go out and get the job done on any given night. And what's great about it, too, and why we were probably ranked seventh, is that we don't have a ton of big names, but they're all up-and-coming young guys. Um, Ethan, I know you mentioned that, like, they're, other than Crookie Carrasco, who's 33, I think we had, like, three 25-year-olds and a 29-year-old. Yeah, so uh, Mike Clevenger is kind of outside of Carlos Carrasco, the old head of the group, if you would, at 29 years old, so not even he's over 30. But Plezak, Savale, Shane Bieber, the stud, are all only 25 years old, and I believe all came from the same draft class as well, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, the 2016 draft class, where you go and get Aaron Savale in the third round, you get Bieber in the fourth round, and you go get Plezak in the 12th. And he has knocked it out of the park with that draft, and now you're really seeing it just come to full terms. And the one thing, guys, that's going to bring the starting rotation down is our lack of hitting. Yeah, so we had another kind of down night, and I think with the Indians, it's like we either hit really well or just disappear. And that's the thing that I've been really frustrated with, and a lot of fans have been really frustrated, frustrated with, especially in the playoffs, is sometimes the hitters will just disappear and you're like, what is going on? That kind of happened tonight, did not score a single run. Um, and, and that's going to be huge. Um, we, we started off pretty well. We're 4-1 or 4-2 now, but mm-hmm. that's going to be huge. We got to get, we got to have five more consistency, consistency in the batting rotation. Yeah, I think Jack summed it up pretty well there at the end. It's all about that consistency. 
our first two games against the Royals is kind of where our hitting struggle started. Mm -hmm. And then they picked back up against tonight when we were going against the White Sox ace. So maybe it's a thing where the front of these rotations for other teams is going to be problematic for us because when we had the back end of the White Sox rotation and the middle of the Royals, we could really put some runs on the board and do some damage. Right, and I mean, I think another thing that you can also attribute it to it is guys like Fran Mil Reyes and Oscar Mercado, who the Indians really expected a lot of, but who are off to these really slow starts. I mean, Fran Mil's hitting 167, and in the first spring training, he was doing great. Mercado is a top of the order guy, but he's also come to a slow start at the plate. He had a big hit last night, that two-run uh, single to uh, get the lead for the Indians, but still, like we haven't seen the Oscar Mercado from last year. We haven't gotten the Fran Mil Reyes that we've traded for, so that's also hurting the Indians. That's a little bit worrisome because I think if any of you guys watched our season preview that John and I did, we talked about Framo Reyes. You know, he is only 25 and he's a kind of a project, but he was in, in a, he's going to be a huge part in the Indians' power hitting and just really scoring runs. And same with Oscar Mercado, we mentioned him, how at the end of the lineup it would be really nice if he could get on the base, get on the bases so our, the front of our rotation could score some runs as well. And since those two players are struggling, you can see how it's clearly hurt our, our, the amount of runs that we're scoring. Yeah, there are definitely some guys who are starting off slow, and maybe it's because of the restart and everything that's going on with COVID or just because it's the beginning of the season. But I think one of these guys who people kind of really didn't expect to start off slow is Francisco Lindor. Mm -hmm. And it's really shown with his plate discipline or lack thereof. Some interesting statistics I found is that he keeps swinging at off-speed pitches in the dirt, and he's swinging and missing. Yeah. Yeah, so he's, um, he's missed on 30% of curveballs that he's seen this year, and it's only 10 of them that he's seen, so he's swung and missed at 3, but he's also swung and missed at 27% of, fa of sliders that he's seen this year, and that's 22. So if you combine those, he's swinging and missing at 30% of these sliders and curveballs, and that's over 30 pitches. Whereas he can just mash the fastball, as we've seen with his home run on the other day. Yeah, and it, it really shows, like especially on Saturday, in that in that game, he was just swinging at a bunch of balls in the dirt. It was like Francisco, mm -hmm. what are you doing? You're so much more talented. You're so much more smart than this. Like it was just so questionable the pitches he was swinging at. Is this a thing that is the beginning of the season? And he just got, has to get more used to it. Or is this just a bad habit that he's getting into, you know? Like, we know the guy can hit better. We know he has a better pitch selection. But it's just really frustrating to see that talented of a player swinging at that, those quality pitches. It's just aggravating. And I think there's a large portion of people that think Francisco Lindor is the best shortstop in the game. However, there were people that brought up that point that I think as a hitter, he still has room to improve. Um, and we're seeing that at the beginning of the season. You know, he's he's... I'm not trying to say that he's not a good hitter because clearly he is, but at the same time, there are certain areas of his hitting that we'd like to see improve, like RBIs last season. Could have been a little bit higher for someone who we consider the best shortstop in baseball. Yeah, I think one of the things that kind of noticeably changed in the past couple of years when it comes to Francisco Lindor is his shift away from slap hitting line drives into becoming this really power hitter shortstop, which has been great for him and his war has gone up with that. But I think there are times where when he gets down in the count, it would probably be beneficial to just look to shoot some line drives to the opposite field and get on base. Yeah. Right. Really focus on that contact, yeah. And we, we saw that on Sunday, Ethan, when he finally got a base hit. Mm -hmm. 
And it was, it was just nice to see him kind of go back to what he came into this league going off of and just doing that. Yeah, I was going to say, um, well, we kind of talked about like some of the, the poorer aspects when it comes to Indians hitting right now. There are some brighter, brighter spots, too, if we could go into that. Yeah, one guy I want to mention that's been a very pleasant surprise to me and that personally has stuck out for me is Cesar Hernandez. As a replacement for, JK, for Jason Kipnis, he has been on fire. I think he's gotten a hit in every single game so far. Maybe not. Maybe one um, he didn't get, if I'm incorrect, but he's been on fire, getting on base a lot, um, and he's been great in the field too. So, Yeah, it, it's great to see Caesar just batting and batting and batting. The Indians haven't had an infielder that's been able to hit for average like that for such a long time, guys, and it's just so refreshing to have a player like that. And if we're going to talk more about players that we're just happy with, I'm really excited to see Brad Zimmer back. I know he's only hitting 250, but he's just, I mean, he has three hits, he has a home run, he has three RBIs. It's just nice to see him back and healthy and sort of living up to that potential that he came up with. And he's just an absolute speed demon on the bases in the outfield. So it's really nice to just see an outfielder that the Indians actually drafted doing well. And that's the other thing I'll mention quickly about Brad Zimmer is that even on the hits, even on some of his hits that he has not gotten on base, They've been solid hits, like he's hitting it deep into the outfield, and he's getting really good contact on the ball. I think he's close, and if he can stay healthy and continue developing, I think he could actually salvage his slow career, the slow start to his career. Yeah, he's, he's looked great so far, and it's just really exciting to see him back, like you both mentioned, after two long years battling injuries, and he's had some really big RBIs for us. Two other guys that I think we expect a lot from, but are off to really good starts right now are Jose Ramirez, who's just... He's killing the ball. He just looks back to an old self, Ethan, doesn't he? Yeah, he sure does. He's, he's looking like that former uh, MVP frontrunner we love so much. And uh, another guy is Carlos Santana. And I think while he started off a little bit slow, maybe not getting a hit against the Royals, he got on base four times in that series. Mm-hmm. And then this White Sox series has really started to mash again. And that's just that's typical Carlos, going to get on base and really wear these pitchers down with his good eye. Mm-hmm. One person that the Indians are really going to take a big loss with that's out now, guys, is Roberto Perez. He was just put on the 10-day IL with right shoulder soreness. He has a right shoulder strain, and he did this opening day actually last Friday, but he played through it the entire weekend. Yeah, and he played well through it. Um, <laughs> Bue Taylor is now up to the active roster in place of Roberto Perez, but this is a pretty solid loss. You know, Roberto, he comes in clutch every once in a while with a solid hit or a home run. He's got some power. Um, so this is definitely a loss. And then not to mention he's a fantastic fielder. He's great. The gold he's a great arm. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I was going to add, I think um, you could make the argument that Roberto Perez is the worst hitter in the Indians lineup. And even that being said, you're looking at a guy who hit 248 last year. With 24 home runs. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's great. And for a catcher, that's freaking fantastic. There right. aren't too many catchers who can do that. But uh, his defense will really be missed. He was second in defensive war last year at 2.7, and that was far and away the best for catchers. And he's already gunned a couple guys out this year. Yeah, and when the Indians traded Gomes last year, I was pretty worried. I'm like, how are they going to replace his good defense and then Roberto steps up and does even better and goes and wins a gold glove. So right. it's just crazy how that works out. One guy that really hasn't stepped up to the job this year so far, I don't know if it's just the beginning of the season 
or him just being still on the sluggish path that he was at the end of last season is Brad Ham, guys. And that, I mean, that you can say not only about Brad Ham, but our entire bullpen. I mean, Karen Cech had a solid, solid outing the other day, but we our bullpen is really struggling, and, and it's it hurts even worse when your starters do really well, because then, like tonight, for example, Brad Plesak, or Zach Plesak goes eight innings with zero and runs, and then as soon as the bullpen comes out, they choke the game away. That's just not going to work as you get deeper into the season and into the playoffs. So guys like Brad Hand, Adam Simber, they really need to step up and start playing better. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Brad Hand specifically, um, his fastball isn't there anymore. It's definitely lost some zip. It's down to like 90 miles per hour average, whereas two years ago... When we traded for him. Yeah, it was up at 94, and I think at first he was getting away with some pitches, but then tonight that kind of all fell apart. And it's, it's also the rest of the bullpen, too, obviously. Even though it's been a while since we've had prime Andrew Miller and Cody Allen, it still feels like we're really missing their presence, and there's just no solid answer right now. Like, Karen Cech's a great young piece, but he's got command issues. And like you said, he's young. Like, he's just not ready to take on that full closer role. Exactly. So you have Karen Cech, who's just... He's, he, the potential's all there. It just, it's unfair to ask that much of him at such a young age. And then you have Emmanuel Classe, who's down wherever because he's suspended. And there's just really no way that you could even replace these guys at this point. So it's really, really hurting this bullpen. And that's got to be so frustrating for a starter like Plezak, who goes and throws a beautiful eight-inning game, and then you just go and have your relievers give up four runs in the ninth inning, guys. Yeah, that's definitely got to change and might prompt a, a trade, too. We'll see how this whole season plays out. It's going to be weird in that regard. But um, if, if the Indians are looking at the playoffs, this is that's definitely something they're going to need to improve upon. Yeah, and I think another thing that's kind of weird this year is the, the whole new rule that when a reliever comes in, they have to face three batters. And we know that Tito's been a guy in the past who loves his matchups and to put lefty on lefty, righty on righty, and he can't really do that with some of these bullpen guys who maybe aren't as solid to go against all three batters. And one person like that is Oliver Perez, but, I mean, the guy's been in the league long enough to be able to adjust mm-hmm. and to be able to go out and get those guys. It's just definitely not something that Terry Francona would like to see just because he's so matchup-oriented. And, Jack, you brought up how this just isn't going to fly as we go deeper and deeper into the season. And it's going to be a real big test this weekend when the Indians go face the Twins in a four-game series. Yeah. Like you said, like when the, when the Indians made their World Series run in 2016, essentially how they were so good is their bullpen would shorten the games for the other teams. And that's just not happening. It's great to have a, an ace who can go out there and, and hold the other team to you know, under two runs in his start. But if you, can't, if you can't essentially shorten that game for the other team by having a solid bullpen, it's, there's going to be a lot of tight games, and not all of them are going to go your way. And like you mentioned with the four-game series against the Twins, we got some of those aces coming up. Bieber's going to be pitching, Clevenger, Carrasco, and Savali, that really strong part of our lineup. We're going to need to uh, not only have good pitching from them, but also from the bullpen moving forward. Yeah, we're going into Minnesota to face the tough Bomba squad, and uh, man, those guys can mash. But I, I have a lot of confidence in our in our starting four going in there. Bieber is a Cy Young front runner and should be. Clevenger is same there, and Cookie looks like he's back to his old self. The guy I'm really excited to watch though is uh, 
is Aaron Savale. That's Just, your boy. He is my boy. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's not as hyped up, but his last outing, the six innings pitch, nine Ks, two earned, was probably the most impressive to me just because he reminds me so much of Corey Kluber. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the 94-mile-per-hour, 95-mile-per-hour fastball that Kluber does, but he has the command. He's got a spiking curveball, a really tight slider, and a fastball that he can control. And while we get on Brad Hand for not really having this fast fastball, as a starter, you don't need an overpowering mm-hmm. fastball. It's much more important to just have command of it. Mm-hmm. A guy like Jared Weaver in 2010 to 2012 had an average fastball of 89 miles per hour, but finished in the Cy Young top five voting every year during yeah. that span. And just to go back to hand and just hit on it real quick again, he's never thrown faster than any other closers. The one thing he had going for him was his control, and he hit two batters tonight. So, like, maybe once he gets that command back in issue, he'll be better again. But right now he just doesn't have that. And speaking of hitting batters, that's a good segue into Joe Kelly, who just got suspended for his antics against the Houston Astros. Uh, What do you make of that suspension? All right, so I think this is way too harsh. Joe Kelly got suspended eight games for throwing at the Astros. And listen, technically you're not supposed to throw at other players, but like, what does the MLB expect that's going to happen with a team that cheated and then just had no sorrow about it? They were, they were just totally arrogant about the whole situation. And Kelly threw at them and got suspended eight games, which is the equivalent to 22 games in a regular season. If you think about it that way, that's absolutely bizarre. He didn't even get ejected from the game, guys, and he got suspended 22 games. Yeah, it seemed like it. it's a bit preposterous in my mind. I guess it seemed like the umps had a let them play attitude where they know the Astros cheated and the players, they're just going to let the players do what they want to do. And I think Joe Kelly kind of said what was on everybody's mind when he, when he threw at their hitters. And it, no one was really in harm's way. And then he, he cussed them out and threw some threw some choice words at them afterwards. But everybody loved face. that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I, I, like to that point, I question where the MLB, their stance on this, because I, it feels like literally everybody is on the side of Joe Kelly, except for the MLB and Rob Manfred. And I just don't, I agree, I don't understand this at all. He didn't get ejected from the game. I didn't think it was that bad. Like, in a normal circumstance, in a normal season, I got to understand it maybe. But, like... Again, why are you defending this team that just cheated? And especially when, I mean, Joe, Joe Kelly, what he did was very, like, out of pocket, but yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, like, ridiculous. Like, I don't think, it wasn't like he was, like... like we know he has a fight club, too, for Instagram. <laughs> exactly, check out Joe Kelly. But, like, I mean, like, the thing that's the most bizarre to me is he didn't even get ejected. Like, usually players get ejected after a fight, and then they get suspended. But that didn't even happen. Right. And talking a little bit more about wild pitches, Dr. Anthony Fauci. His first pitch on opening day was even worse than 50 cents. He couldn't even get close to the catcher. Yeah, I was about to say, that's a, he had a 50 cent tier bad fr- first pitch. It was just like god awful, like 30 to 20 feet in front of home plate, way off, home plate, way off to the left. It was just. It was garbage. It was good to see him out there throwing the first pitch, but it was just terrible. I guess you could say he probably didn't want anyone to catch anything. So, Dude's the goat. <laughs> but going to catching stuff, that's what the Marlins have been doing recently. They have 16 players who have tested positive for COVID, six yesterday. In addition, they also have two coaches that have tested positive. 
So there's just been this huge outbreak with the Marlins, and the MLB has responded to it, but there's still a lot of lingering questions of what's going to happen. What's the MLB eventually going to do, guys? Yeah, I don't know, and I, I want to also tie in the NFL with this too. You know, will there will the seasons be interrupted because, like, like as we see, like there's not a lot of time for these games to be made up, right? Like, and not on, not only that, but the Marlins, I have a hard time believing that they're gonna play another game. I mean, I know that they're they're supposed to play soon, but I mean, if if I was a, an opposing team like the Orioles who are supposed to play them, I would not want to go play the Marlins right now. They voted against going and playing them. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's a really messed up situation. And like you said, there's not really enough time because of the already condensed season and lack of breaks to make up these games. So it'll be interesting come playoffs to see how this plays out when the Marlins are a team that potentially has 54 games played or even less if this continues, um, where all the other teams have 60. And I guess we'll also have to see what happens if, like, 15 teams in the league at once all kind of get hit with this. And that that's totally a possibility, too. Mm-hmm. It spreads so fast that it could happen, and that teams just get knocked out one by one. And that's where I think I bring the NFL into this, is that the NFL is going to have the same problem, if, but only worse. Because, A, it's the sport itself is way more contact. The rosters are bigger. The te- I mean... And then on top of that, you have all these players already opting out. Drew Forbes for the Browns just opted out. Another offensive lineman for the Browns opted out. And then some bigger-name players for other teams, like Damian Williams, the running back for the Chiefs, he just opted Marquise out Marquise Goodwin from Mar- the Eagles. Exactly. So, so it's starting to become a little bit of a trend. And I'm just, as much as I want these seasons to happen, I'm starting to doubt the fact that, you know, that and, they are. And this is a perfect transition into football, too. We're going to talk a little bit about the Browns. But just going back to baseball for one second – these teams have a taxi squad where they can call up these players. The NFL doesn't have a minor leagues say so, you know? They, they don't have a squad where they can just call up all these players from. And the NFL did nothing to expand rosters. You have 53 guys, you're going to play with that. They haven't said anything else. So, I mean, like, if you have 10, 15 guys that go down sick, like, you're not going to be able to play a football game. You need more than that. And not only that, but if you do get sick, you're out two to three weeks. So it's not like... Like, How do you make up a football game, bro? You, you it's so much easier for baseball. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, the NFL, they've got their practice squad, but those guys are also practice squad players for a reason. Yeah. The quality of play isn't there, and nobody would really want to tune in to watch that product. I guess right now with baseball and potentially the NFL, too, the NHL and NBA are looking real smart with their bubbles having uh-huh. zero COVID cases at the moment. And I don't know if you saw, but... One NBA executive came out and said they might need a bubble for the next season, for 2021, which just even furthers the fact that I just cannot see the NFL or MLB surviving without one for this season. Yeah, it's just a sticky situation, and the NBA and Adam Silver definitely handled it to a higher and more advanced degree than the MLB and NFL are doing it. And that's why the NBA will probably last all the way through the season, and that's why we might see a shutdown with the MLB and the NFL. But we're just going to have to wait and see how time plays out, guys. Yeah. So moving on, uh, the NFL just released their top 100 rankings for the 2019 season. Um, And in those rankings, we had four Cleveland Browns, um, Nick Chubb, leading all the Browns at number 36, Jarvis and Odell Beckham back-to-back, OBJ being at 59, Landry at 61, 
and then Miles Garrett, who we all know was suspended for the antics against Mason Rudolph and the Pittsburgh Steelers, is comes in at 80, probably being discounted a little bit because of that. Yeah, so just off the bat, seeing this, it's pretty wicked to see someone of Miles Garrett's talent at 80. Yeah. And yes, you can say, well, he was at 80 because he only played 10 games. And because he was suspended and for his quote-unquote outrageous act, his whatever, the people want to make it so much worse than it actually is. Ethan, Ethan's a Steelers fan, so he'll probably say Mason Rudolph didn't deserve it. But, I mean, if you think about it, Miles Garrett had 10 sacks in 10 games last year. He didn't even have sacks in the three last games that he played in. So that means he had 10 sacks in seven games, guys. And you reckon this guy at, at 80, he could have played those 10 games and still could have been in the top 50 if you're not using the bias from the suspension to rank these rankings. Yeah, I think uh, you hit a lot of the points I was going to talk about. Well, I'm a Steelers fan, and I obviously don't take too kindly to Miles Garrett trying to clobber Mason Rudolph with a helmet. <laughs> he's a he's a pretty damn good football player, and I think Cat. putting him in... What? <laughs> Mason Rudolph or no, Miles no, Garrett? No, no, Miles Garrett. Okay, thank you. I, thank you, thank you. Okay, I think Mason good Rudolph... Clear, good. I was going to say, Miles Garrett was doing you guys a favor, to be honest. Duck Hodges on the court. <laughs> But Miles My- Garrett is severely underranked coming in at 80. He was briefly the highest paid defensive player in football this week until Joey Bosa got a huge contract. But I think he, w- he was great last year, as you mentioned, and he's probably going to be even better this year because of all the support around him. Mm-hmm. They've got Larry Ogunjobi, Sheldon Richardson, and Olivier Vernon alongside him, and they'll help create opportunities because you can't double-team all of those guys, and then you leave Garrett open. Or if you double-team Garrett, those guys are going to be better, which means he's better. And then the Browns also got Adrian Claiborne to kind of give Garrett some rest and relief. So if he's if Garrett's more fresh when he is on the field, he's obviously going to perform better too. So just to mention a couple names that were ahead of Miles Garrett, just for comparison's sake, you got Clayus Campbell at 79, Jarrell Casey at 71, J.J. Watt at 45, Clowney at 41, Danielle Hunter at 40, Bosa at 34, Shaq Barrett at 32, Cam Jordan at 23, Nick Bosa at 17. Like, all right, so uh, what, yeah, what yeah, are your the, thoughts the on one that? that confu- <laughs> the one that really confuses me the most is Jadavion Clowney. He started in four less games last year, went from nine sacks to three sacks, and moved up all the way to 41, Jack. Like, I get the talents there, but, like, I... I like, if this is based off of, like, stats and just, like, playing in general, I don't understand how he moved up. Yeah, I mean, you could... This list is clearly flawed, like, just to put that out there. I'm not, like, going to get into that, but Jadavian Clowney definitely should not have gone up. Um, we all see what's happening this offseason. Teams clearly don't think Even that he's... Him. Right, right. See, so he's begging the Jets to sign him now. Yeah, just think um, about how bad it is when you have to beg the Jets to sign you. Right. So, I don't know. I think these rankings are clearly a little bit off um, as a Browns fan, and I can understand why Miles Garrett was discounted, but at the same time, he's not better than some of these guys in front of him. Yeah, I think um, when you're looking at it, I think Miles Garrett should probably be right up there with J.J. Watt, Jadavion Clowney, and Joey Bosa, Daniel Hunter, somewhere in between that 35 to 45 range. I think that would have been a great range to put him after this past season. Yeah, exactly, and I think he'll he'll probably only get better going forward. I guess kind of 
looking at Jadavion Clowney and why they might have bumped him up there, the guy made an impact in Seattle. Even though the numbers might not show it, he Mm -hmm. really kind of changed the tide of their defense, and he forced a lot of fumbles. Uh-huh. Fumbles and pressures, too. That's something that, like, his sacks were down, but he really did disrupt the pocket a lot. You guys, you guys are both right. And you want to move on to a couple more Browns players? Yeah, absolutely. So Jarvis Landry was at 61, and Odell was at 59. And honestly, out of the four Browns players that were ranked on this list, these are the two that I've heard the least about, of like the least complaining from Browns fans, guys. Yeah, I would agree. I think... This is probably where they should have been, and I like that they're back-to-back. However, I probably would flip-flop them. I think in a vacuum, if you're just looking at 2019, I think Jarvis was honestly a better player. So I would, again, that goes to show you, like, this list, they kind of care more about, like, making the fans happy versus where these guys actually probably deserve to be. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. When you kind of break down the numbers from last year, Jarvis had the best year of his career, his highest total yardage, highest, highest yards per reception, Uh, Whereas Odell kind of had a a down year compared to his first three years in New York, and he had his lowest catch percentage, but he still had over a thousand yards and was a really good contributor. And I'd say when you kind of go into who's ranked ahead of them, and maybe if we look at who's ranked behind them, they're probably in the right spot. Yeah, Yeah, and just especially with how they played out last year. And you can factor in things like you said, like Odell's catch percentage. Like those are things that can definitely improve, and those are things that like the talent's there for someone like Odell, and that's something that he could easily improve on. And I mean, the guys that are ahead of him too are just so talented. But I think this will only feed their energy. The both of these guys just totally feed off of stuff like this. So I don't think even if they were underrated, I don't think it's a bad thing because I think it's something that they could benefit from. Yeah, I agree. Moving on to Nick Chubb, who I'm not mad that he came in at 36. However, I think he should have been higher than some of these running backs ahead of him. You know, he almost leads the league in rushing, second in rushing, and has one of the most efficient seasons as a runner that the NFL has seen. He comes in at 36 with guys like Aaron Jones, Saquon, who missed some games this season, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook. Derek Henry and Christian McCaffrey ahead of him. Some of those guys I can completely understand. However, I think the disrespect that... I, well, not disrespect. I think people respect Nick Chubb, but... Just I the underrating. The underrating. He's a better running back, and call me biased, call me a Browns fan. He's a better running back than Ezekiel Elliott right now. And you can very much make an argument that statistically he's a better running back than Saquon Barkley and Aaron Jones. I, I think that um, I think they underrated Nick Chubb a little bit. Uh-huh. I think he's definitely better than Aaron Jones. I would even say that he's better than Dalvin Cook, and they're probably giving Dalvin Cook the edge here because of his receiving abilities. Yeah. But the numbers show that Chubb is a pretty good receiver. That's can- what I, I was going to say, yeah, he's, like, he's an underrated receiver. Freddie yeah. Kitchens didn't really give him the work. But. Yeah, that's exactly what I, w- what I was about to say, is that they have Kareem Hunt, who yeah, they used exactly. as their third down back, receiving back a lot of the time. And honestly, like that's just another super talented player. If it wasn't for some of the off-the-field antics that have derailed his career a bit, he'd probably be like right up here with all of these guys in terms of top 100 players because he's, he's that talented. Oh, and, 100%. And talking more about like you guys saying this is just to make fans happy. That's another reason why you wouldn't put someone like Kareem Hunt up there. And why Miles Garrett's at 80. And Miles Garrett's at 80. Yeah. And as good as Aaron Jones is, I 100% 
think Nick Chubb should be ranked over someone like him. But Aaron Jones scored 16 touchdowns last year. And what the NFL fans love to see? Touchdowns. Love scoring. They love scoring. So, I mean, that's how I can see someone like Aaron Jones being over Chubb. But at the same time, I think Chubb could be right up there with Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey. Just for his pure rushing ability. The guy breaks tackles like it's absolutely nothing. I'll say this. You know, after last season, I wouldn't put him ahead of Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey. However, mm-hmm. I think he's a better runner than them. In in, like for me, it's it's a little bit more disrespectful that they're twenty three spots or twenty six spots. Like Derrick Henry's twenty six spots ahead of Nick Chubb when like Nick Chubb was like if, four if you, yards behind him. Right, and if you and if you tell me who I'd rather have on my team, I'm taking Chubb. Like, yeah, I think I think that's a really good point that he shouldn't probably be. 20 spots, 20 something spots behind Derrick Henry. It should yeah. be a lot closer. If I were to redo this list, I would bump Dalvin Cook down a lot and probably put Nick Chubb up with Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. And I, I might put Saquon up there too because. Just off of his pure talent. And the fact that, like, he only played 13 games last year, mm-hmm. but he still had over 1,000 yards with the crappy Giants offensive line. And they were one dimensional because they had Daniel Jones, like, leading the passing game. So. I feel like a lot of that's not really his fault. He was still as productive as he could be, given his situation. Yeah, I would agree. The, the Nick Chubb versus Saquon argument, you could really make arguments for both. You know, I don't think Nick Chubb's situation was fantastic either last year. However, Saquon Barkley really is just, you know, he, he, he'll, he'll get his no matter what the roster around him looks like. Guys, I think that actually kind of wraps it up for us. I think that these Browns players could all be ranked higher in, in their better seasons. They've got, these guys have all had better seasons, besides maybe someone like Jarvis Ethan. But I think these are rankings where you could see the Browns move up significantly last year and then uh, next year. And then you could also see guys like Denzel Ward also peeping their head back into the top 100. Yeah, I, and I agree with that. Like You think about the year the Browns had last year. It was a huge disappointment. I would not be surprised if this team just has more success that these guys naturally work their way up the list. And like you said, guys like Kareem Hunt, Denzel Ward find their way on this list next year. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think as the Browns kind of grow as a team and get better because they're on the come up and they're probably going to be a contender for the division, if not the Super Bowl in the coming years, they'll definitely have more players on this list. And a guy I hope can come into that top 100 that I think is really good is Austin Hooper. He that that man's just a beast all around. Uh-huh. It'll be interesting to see where Hooper how Hooper fits into this offense because there's you got your people that think he was a complete product of the Atlanta Falcons offense and he got a lot of targets. I'll give him that. However, I Baker loves his tight ends and it'll be interesting to see how Stefanski uses the double tight end sets. He likes to split it up, but I would not be surprised to see Hooper on here either and I really hope that he has a good season next year. And just to finish this off, guys, yeah, we one, one person that really hasn't even been mentioned that could peep their head into this list next year if his season goes well is Baker Mayfield. Exactly. I thought you were going to say the Scottish hammer. <laughs> Honestly, he's really good. I'm not surprised he was a good. <laughs> no, but Baker, too. I mean, you, there's so many guys on, this, on the team that could – we could own this list next year if, if everything goes right. But um, that's all hopes and dreams at this point. Um, and before we sign off, if you guys made it this far, we really appreciate it. We have a quick message from our sponsor, Manscaped. 
Um, live sports are back, baby. It is very possible that we see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure your Nuggets are as safe as possible when that matchup does happen. Guys, get 20% off and free shipping with the code HTSP at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use the code HTSP. Take your grooming game to the next level. And every product that you guys buy supports us too. So we would really appreciate it if you guys could help us out and maybe grab something because they do have some really quality products, Jack. Not only quality, but like a lot of their stuff's pretty cheap too and affordable. And I've loved everything that we, they've sent us. And we, again, we're super thankful that we are able to partner up with Manscaped, which is a great company. Well, thank you guys again if you made it this far. It was really fun recording this today. Absolutely. Big shout out to Ethan for joining us, coming back from the hiatus. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Ethan. It was fun. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. It was a, it was a really great time. I'm going to give some shout outs real quick. I don't right. know if that's allowed. but Absolutely. Shout, shout out my boy Jamp. Uh, shout out my boy Shriek, too, listening Uh-oh. out there. And then uh, shout out to Royce to 59 And uh, <laughs> shout out Angel Pagan. Those are my guys. Real quick, since he's plugging, shout out to 20 Little Baby on Twitter, and shout out to my mom, you're the GOAT. Yeah, actually, 20 Little Baby is the GOAT on Twitter because he likes and retweets all of his stuff. We appreciate it, dude. Hopefully you're listening so you can hear this. Absolutely. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in again. We'll see you next episode. Peace. And thanks to you guys if you made it this far listening to the Hottest Take Sports Podcast. Today's intro beat was made by Big Bad Beats on YouTube. We'll have a link to it in the description. Make sure you all go give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at the hottest underscore take pod. And thank you again to Ethan for coming on the show. It was a joy having you, dude. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to stay updated with our show. Also, make sure you rate the show and leave some feedback. Thanks again, y'all, and see you next time.